Amen. Let me read this verse to you. Luke 15, verse 8. This is what it says. Or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I found the silver coin I lost. I tell you in the same way that there is joy in the presence of God's angel over one sinner that repents. Thank you guys so much. I don't know about you, but one of the things that really grinds my gears and gets on my nerves is when I lose things. I, I, I hate it when I'm looking for my keys. I'm, and it, happens, it seems to happen right when you're about to leave the house. You're like, where's my phone? Where's my beloved iPhone or my off-brand Apple, or off-brand device? Where are they located? And so you go in there. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to save the shade, but I will buy a house phone before I get an Android. I just want you to know. I'm, t- no, I'm just fine. This is, it's a joke. It's a joke. We're loosening up. You're getting to know me. It's just a joke. Anyway, like I hate losing things, right? And then once you lose them, it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? Because then you begin to search in all the wrong places. You're looking in places that you know it wouldn't be, but you're doing it anyway or looking in that space because you're just like, yo, let me just check the box so people know, so I know that I wasn't going there. And then here's what I do. I turn myself into a human tornado. I just go from room to room, looking, tearing up the room, pulling things off the covers, just pulling out all the drawers until I find exactly what I'm looking for. Don't look at me funny. You guys know y'all do the same thing. When you don't have your phone or your shoes, we will tear our houses up, anticipating that eventually we're going to find it. But just let me just say, like, when you finally find that thing that, has, that you thought was going to be long lost forever, it fills our hearts with so much joy. You're like, thank God, I've been looking for it. I finally found this thing. There's like a surge of joy that goes through your body. And so it's this big relief. Well, if you take that feeling and you multiply it by a thousand, you multiply it by a million, you multiply it infinitely, that is how God feels when one lost sinner comes to meet him. He, there, there is a party in heaven. So much so that the angels are up there swag surfing. They're, they're, they're dancing. They're happy because there's a party. They're joy filled because somebody's lost. And I'm just so glad that God is not like us because uh, husbands, we, we, we do this. I'm just going to pull us all into this category. Um, I know when I can't find something, I just, I just ask someone who I know in my household that can find it the best. And I say, Sarah, can you help find me this? I I just can't do it. And she usually finds it in a short amount of time. It's a beautiful thing. And what I say is, I'm so glad that God is not like us. He does not get tired of looking for us. He doesn't get tired of looking for people that are far away from him. Like, I know some of you are like, well, God, I mean, I'm coming to church. I haven't been to church in a while because I've been trying to get my life together. I've been trying to clean up my life. Let me ask you, how's that going for you? Is it working out? I hope it's working out for you. But it's God who draws us and chases after us and cleans up our lives, friends. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God does. And so he chases after us. Like a tireless parent is chasing after a lost kid in an amusement park. He just keeps relentlessly pursuing us until he finds us. 
And that's kind of the context of this Lost and Found series. It's really intended to help us understand the great love that God has for people that are lost, including ourselves at one point or another. But it also shows us that it is our responsibility to go out and to find the lost things that are missing as well. To go out and share the gospel, to see people who are far from Jesus come to meet him. So chapter, we're in chapter 15 of Luke, and this is Jesus. He's on his way from Jerusalem or to Jerusalem. He, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and scholars tell us that even though that's his destination, something very important is happening. He is on his way to experience the cross of Calvary for us. And so what we see here is that though he's walking closer to J Jerusalem, there's a storm of hatred that's brewing. You know that frustration that you feel when you turn into a human tornado and you're going through every room in your house where there's another storm of a different kind in this passage. The religious leaders, the, the Pharisees who consider themselves the intellectual and scholarly sect of believers or, 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 or Judaizers, if you will, they're upset because Jesus is spending time with a diverse crowd. And I'm not just saying a diverse crowd ethnically. I'm talking about a, a, a diverse crowd morally, right? So he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders at that time, are like, how could you treat these outsiders better than you treat the insiders? And so when we talk about, when we talk about tax collectors, I think you got to understand what's happening here. The tax collectors bought the rights from Rome to tax the people. And then they got some kickbacks to it. So they would take more money than they were supposed to. And so the Jewish people, you like, well, that sounds like the IRS, Pastor, because uh, that is, uh, are they, is, that's where the IRS originated from. But what, what's happening is they're, they're taking money from the Jewish people, and then they're taking even more than they should. So what's happening is they're considered traitors. They're considered liars, not just to God, but to the religion as well. But also, they have some sinners around. And I think Luke uses this word because he's talking about morally corrupt people do not, who do not follow Judaism. And so they're, having, so they're like, yo, why in the world are you doing this? And then on top of that, Jesus poured more coals on her head. He's having a meal with them. Now, in our society, we might not think very much of that, but in the ancient Near Eastern society, whenever someone ate a meal or whenever a religious leader ate a meal with someone else, they were in essence approving their behavior. They were telling them that what they did was acceptable and they could not get their minds around it. But the text says that Jesus just didn't, just didn't spend time with them. It says he welcomed the sinners. Do you see that in the text, verse 2? It says he welcomed them. Now, um, you guys know I was away in Lawton, Oklahoma, preaching for a dear friend of mine last weekend. It was so much fun. Uh, Lawton, you chairing for Lawton? Okay, okay, cool. I, I, thought, I, was, I thought somebody was like, Lawton, yeah, I know where that's at. Anyway, like, so, um, so I'm there. Like, my primary call is to strengthen the local church. This is where I want to be. This is where God has called me. This is what I love. But there are times when he'll call me to go to church and kind of help build it. So I spoke to their dream teamers, preached at the church. They had me working, y'all. I don't typically work on Friday because that's my Sabbath, but they do. And I was there working. I was cleaning up boxes and cleaning up the sanctuary, cleaning up the parking lot. I was like, this is way too much for me right now. I need to be resting. That's what I, I need to be laying in the bed. So I'm there. I don't know what that has to do. Oh, okay, okay. So then, so then I come home. And typically when I come home after a great day, 
like my wife will like give me a kiss on the head. She'll rub my head and say, how was your day, baby? I'm like, great, baby, it's better now. It's better now that I'm getting some of this tender affection, baby. It's amazing. Then my kids will come up to me and they'll run up and they'll grab me by the leg. But, but when I came home from this last trip, like I came home to like a clean, a super duper clean house. Like I had meals cooked. I was like, who did I marry? Superwoman? What's going on, right? It was like this amazing reception. Like I felt like a king. I'm gonna be honest with you. And so that is kind of what Luke is getting at here. He's saying, dekomai is the Greek word he uses. That means when you welcome somebody. But he uses the word pros, dekomai, which means like he's welcoming someone or he's welcoming sinners like they are a part of the VIP. He's welcoming. So Jesus is just like spending time with sinners and the Pharisees is like, why are you doing something like that? And it's because they don't understand the depth of Jesus' heart to reach lost people. He's like, you don't understand. God didn't call me to reach the well because the well don't need a doctor. It's the sick that need the doctor. And if you could for one moment shed yourself, your self-righteousness, you would see that you're no more righteous or less righteous than they. You guys are in the same boat together. Are y'all with me? And so Jesus is like, yo, come on in. I want to welcome the sinners. I want to spend time with them. He gives them this grand reception, and they're complaining to Jesus. Like, why are you doing this, Jesus? You shouldn't be spending time. And it's like, no, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand here. You don't grasp the depth of my love, and you misinterpret my mission. My mission is not just to keep the safe found. It's to go after the one that's lost. That's what he's saying. He's saying, like, like, I think we get it mixed up in the church sometimes. We think that it's just about us. Us more, no more, bar the door. We're good. It's about the church. It's about the people that call this home and all that. No, it ain't. We exist part and parcel to reach the people that are far from God. To reach the people far from God. We exist in order to fulfill the great commission to go into all the earth and share the gospel and share the testimony of God. That's why we exist, friends. The reasons that we have quarrels and fights and arguments in our churches a lot of times is because we make our preferences the gospel instead of the gospel the gospel. Instead of the gospel. Oh, I wish this would have happened or that would have happened. Are we reaching people for Jesus? Are people getting baptized? Are people being filled with God's spirit in his presence? Are they experiencing life transformation? Those are the things, those are the scoreboards that really matter, not preferences. Are y'all hearing me, church? And so they can't grasp God welcoming or Jesus welcoming sinners like that because they haven't grappled with the depths of their own sinfulness. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I, I think this is an important point, man. Pastor Tim Ross really explains this well. Jesus was not hanging out with sinners. Sinners were hanging out with Jesus. It's a big difference. Jesus wasn't just casually hanging out, having a meal with sinners, with sinners, were morally unrighteous. They loved Jesus so much, and there was such an attractive element to who he was that they could not stop from hanging out with him. They loved that he would meet them in their brokenness. He loved that he would meet them where they are in a non-condemning way. He loved that he would spend time with them. What I'm saying is, is if we are to post, if we are supposed to be Christ-like, are we just hanging out with people because we want to be a part of the cool crowd? Or do they want to hang out with us because they notice that it's just something a little different about you? Your life is falling apart, but you still got joy? 
your life is all messed up. It's as messed up as mine. But yet you're telling me about this God that can heal it, heal my life and fix and repair the broken areas. Like what, what I'm saying is, is like Jesus is like, no, I've got my heart open for the sinner. But I need you to know that there's something so magnetic about me that sinners just love being around me. And so let me just ask you, for those who are walking with Jesus, welcome to the cookout. It's good to see you. Are, what type of personality do you have? Do you have the one that attracts people far from Jesus, or do you have the one that repels them? Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm the latter. I'm not going to make myself the hero of the story. Sometimes I'm bad, I, but I'm trying. But how about this? What are you trying to be? Yeah. Right? Here's a, here's a tip. You will never attract people who are far from God when you're always trying to critique their theology. I run into folks all the time that are trying to make unbelieving people be better theologians than, than they actually are. Right? Like, like, we'll get there. But part and parcel, can we build a relationship? Can my life be a testimony? Can I share the gospel? Right? If you're always correcting, not accepting, a lot of times it's going to lead to contempt. Does that make sense? Now, if they ask you your opinion, this is what happens. This is what I do a lot of times when I agree, disagree with people, particularly over something very, very serious. I say, I would love to answer that question for you, but can I do that after our third coffee meeting? Can I buy you coffee three times? And then what ends up happening is they're like, oh, you just don't want to get into the guts of this. It's like, no, no, well, well you're still made in the image of God, right? I, I may differ with you on your religion or your sexual, sexual ethics or a bunch of other stuff or your views on abortion and all that type of stuff. But can we sit down and build a relationship? Because I believe God wants us to build bridges, not erect walls between us and people that are far from him. And so Jesus is just attracting people, right? And like I said, do, do people feel drawn or attracted to you? Do they feel the compassion? Now, here's, here's another thing. Remember, Jesus is experiencing immense pressure right now, right? He's got the religious intelligentsia pushing back against him. And out of that storm of hostility comes forth three of the greatest parables in the scriptures. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Does that make sense? And so what happens is opposition at times will cause you to produce your best work. That's the principle. Like, I know that some of us are looking for ideal circumstances and ideal settings. But God does not need ideal circumstances or settings in order to get you to produce or do things at your best. Does that make sense? Jesus was experiencing pressure from all around. Like, I know that you think you need a degree and you need the credentialing and you need this and that. But God is like, I've given you all you need. I've put it on the inside of you. And that pressure that you're experiencing now is not something you need to run away from, but it's, it's something you need to embrace. Because here's the thing. God only elevates people to their pain thresholds. Like, like you're praying for purpose. But usually that purpose coincides a lot of pain. Like usually that, that, that thing that you want coincides coincide with a lot of hardship in your life. And so if you want those things from God, be careful about what you pray, by the way. Be careful about what you pray. But I would also say expect for some brokenness to come into your life because God shapes you and develops you in the classroom of pain, not in the penthouse of prosperity. Careful. Careful. We could just look at, we could look at Joseph, for example. 
Joseph was in the Bible. He had this dream that his parents were going to bow down to him and all that. And he was like, okay. God was like, all right, cool. How about how does slavery sound as a sanctification process? Hey, how does sibling rivalry work? Hey, how about, how about you go to prison because you got a felony because you, they claim that you did something that you really didn't? And then how about you interpret a dream? And then as you interpret that dream, you still get left in prison for another two years. How about after that? Then you'll interpret dream, and then you'll be ready. See, God can accelerate you more quickly than you can do it yourself. But he usually gives you a process of pain before he shoots you through the roof of prosperity. Let me go on. That's not my notes, but it's okay. Let me give that to you. So he's, he's feeling the opposition. This is a good one. I should say this. Just like pressure can turn coal into precious diamonds, contention can bring out some of the best work we produce. So let me just, let me just, let me just help, let me help you up and then I'm gonna get to my other notes. Can, can I encourage you to embrace the pressure and pain in your life and not be conflict avoidant? Some of you are avoiding a difficult conversation right now with someone that you know you need to have the conversation. Those things are things that God is using to shape your character and develop you. Okay, let me go. Here's the first point. Here's the first point. Pastor Jacob gave us the preach so well last week on the lost sheep. Here's three points about the lost coin I want you to notice. Here's the first one. God's love and care extends equally to both men and women. Both men and women. That's important. Now, there's a lesson we can learn in this parable about God's character. Can we not? About how he goes and he, he if there's a lost one, he goes after that. But Jesus is also pushing back on the societal norms during this time because the Jews were a very patriarchal and sexist contingent of people. And they placed women in very subordinate roles. They must have forgot that they were both made in the image of God. They must have forgotten that they were created equally in God's sight. So what's happening is the lost, the, the, the shepherd and the lost sheep, the woman in the lost coin, and the father all represent God. It all represents God. And so what happens in this is God doesn't mind likening himself to have both masculine and feminine characteristics, but the Pharisees had a real problem with it. And so Jesus is doing that to push back against their selfishness, their moral superiority, and the societal norms that don't align with the Imago Dei or the image of God that he made everyone in. Does that make sense? And so God presents himself in the scriptures, often he presents himself as God the Father. Those are his pronouns. He describes himself as masculine in the scriptures. Anytime he reveals himself, he reveals himself in a masculine way. That's why he's described as king. That's why when Jesus prays to him in the garden, he calls him father, right? Father, if you can remove this cup, I would love if you could do that, right? But he describes himself even as a husband. But there are times and many occurrences where he doesn't mind or he to show the depth of who he is, he talks about how he has characteristics that are often associated with women. It's a beautiful thing. So you remember Psalm 23? Everybody loves Psalm 23. It's the cotton candy of the scriptures, isn't it? You'd be like, you, you know it in the King James. You'd be like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I don't know who thou or art are, but like, they seem like great people, right? So when he says, we praise God for being the shepherd, right? But then he says, you make a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
So we take that verse and talk about our haters so much, right? We're like, yeah, my haters need to see me win. And it's like, hey, I'm not sure David had that in mind. I'm not sure he was thinking about your haters from that verse, but okay, right? But what he's saying, but in the ancient Near Eastern times, men were not the typical ones that would set the table. It was women. And so what he was saying was, hey, I have manly and compassionate, I have manly attributes, healthy ones, the non-toxic kind, but I also have some attributes that show how I have compassion and love for others like a mother would have for her children. Does that make sense? And so you remember when Jesus is up there looking at Jerusalem, he's like, hey, I would have loved to bring you in as, as a mother hen, and I would love to cover you. What he's saying is that, hey, I've got, some, I've got some beautiful images of God's protection, his tender love and a care. There's sometimes where he's called a mother eagle, or he describes himself as a mother bear, and he's using all those symbols and those images and those poetic metaphors in order to describe fully who he is. And so the Pharisees would have had a hard time with that. But Jesus is like, well, let me give you one illustration of man. Then I'm going to give you another one at the end. But I'm going to conjunct it with this one to show you that you are self-righteous and you have an unbiblical way of how to view this. Does that make sense? Okay, good, good, good. If you didn't like that point or understand it, just email Pastor Jacob, Julian at AccelerateChurch.tv. He's fielding a bunch of emails from this first service anyway. So here's the second one. I said something a little more spicy. My wife was like, careful. So anyway, number two, we are all precious in the sight of God. We're all precious in the sight of God. So there's a coin that's missing in this woman's house. So she decides to light a lamp and sweep for it. I love that. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern world, this could have happened during the day or the night, but because they have very smaller windows, it was important to have a lamp to do it. And so it's very difficult for us to determine how much this coin was actually worth, but many people would say that this coin is like a day's wages. Others would say that maybe it's not a day's wages, but it's part of her life savings. And so what she's doing is she's being financially responsible for the resources that God has given her, right? In other words, she probably was taking stock of her budget. She knew where the money was. She knew that something had happened with her financially, and she needed to fix, she needed to fix it or figure out how she was going to handle it. And so she has on this necklace, and inside the necklace she would normally keep, that's where you keep your life savings. So she realized that something is missing, and so she goes on a wild search after it. And let me just tell you that the same thing that applies to this woman in a coin also applies to our relationship with God. Because it doesn't matter what's happened in our life. He's always willing to go after us. Think about it like this. I think this silver coin aligns to us in multiple ways. Number one, it's about the coin belonging to her. It belonged to her. Now, remember, the coin is lost. She doesn't know where it's at. But she's going to keep on looking for it until it's found. But just because it's lost doesn't mean that she still doesn't own it. And so what's happening is, is there are lost people in your life right now. Lost people. But the difference between this woman and God the Father is he knows where his lost children are. But he wants you and I to go out there and to let his lost children know, hey, you are lost, but you can be found and be a part of a family that will endow you with gifts, give you skills, help you learn your purpose so that you can walk. Thank you, Jonas. And so that you can walk in the passion that God has for you. Does that make sense? And so they belong to him. On top of that, it's a great metaphor, illustration of the gospel. Because think about this. She's sitting comfortably in her house. And then she puts the work in to light the lamp. 
and to search through the dirty crevices of her home in order to find this, this, this light. And can I just tell you that Jesus was sitting in the comfort of his house in heaven, chilling with the spirit, probably talking, finishing each other's sentences, hanging out with the angels, walking the street of gold. You know what I'm saying? Hearing them praise them all day, getting the harmonies right and creating bridges and all that. And he was like, nah, I'm going to leave the comfort of my home. And I'm going to come down into the dirtiness of the, of the sin. And I'm going to save the people that put their faith and trust in me. What a great image of the gospel. And just like this coin was covered in, it was covered in darkness and it was covered in dirt. That's a picture of our lives. We had our minds darkened. We had our minds filled with all different type of ways that we thought we could please God. But God was like, no, you're lost. And the only way you're going to be saved is if I come and put in the effort to find you. Friends, that is the gospel. And Jesus paid the ultimate price by going to the cross, enduring the shame and paying the highest price for you and I. He lets us know that even though you are tarnished by sin and you are messed up by iniquity, it does not take away the fact that you are valuable. And that's important. Somebody needs to know that they're valuable in this place because you were made in the image of God. God breathed the breath of life into Adam in the Garden of Eden. He made Adam into his likeness. And then and when Adam sinned, he sent his son Jesus. And now we've been redeemed and made in God's likeness, in God the Father, in Jesus Christ's likeness. That's why we're, he was considered the second Adam. And so some of y'all don't find your hope in that. You find your hope in what you can produce at work. You think your value is tied to your ability to do things in the workplace or your value is tied to the money that you bring home in order to support the family or the value is tied to your ability to make sure that your kids are educated and reared and all those type of things but let me tell you those are valuable things but you find your true identity and your true value in the one that saw the tarnished coin of our life and cleaned it up with the gospel friends you're valuable and so that's what happens. So it's clouded. Our minds are clouded by darkness. They're clouded by confusion. But Jesus, the light of the world, reveals the gospel to us and helps us to walk in the newness of life. Here's my third point. And, you, and the band can come on this one. Third one is God expects us to search for the lost too. A lot of us would be very, very content being found and not going and finding anybody. We would. But here's the question. If lost coins represent lost people and ourselves, who are the lost coins in your life? Who are the people that we need to go? Who are the family members? Who are the coworkers? Who are the neighbors? Who are those who are distant from God and struggling in their spiritual lives that God knows that he wants us to go after? Now, here's the reason some of us don't go out and share the gospel, right? I'm going to give you some reasons. Number one, because we didn't know we needed to. Boom, you got your answer. You need to go do it, okay? That's number two. Number two, it's because we are afraid that once we share the gospel, we'll have to engage in something called apologetics. So there's evangelism, and then there's apologetics. That is the defense of the faith. And we're afraid that if we share the gospel with someone, that they're going to flip us like a pancake, and we're not going to be able to answer the questions that they have. Right. Let me just tell you, embrace that process. Yeah. It is so humbling. Yeah. 
It happened, and don't, don't get it wrong. Like, I love Jesus. I love the Bible. And, and I read a lot. It's my job. But sometimes people throw things at me. I'm like, ooh, ooh. Uh, how about I get back to you on that? Let me do a little bit of research on that. Number one, like, if you don't know the answer, that is an invitation for you to go and study. That's an invitation. That's an invitation for you to say, hey, I might not have that answer right now. But I guarantee you if, you, if you give me about a week, we can sit down and dialogue about it. And so you don't have, some of us are just nervous to just open up our mouths and tell people about Jesus because we feel, we feel like we're, we're, we're ashamed to, to tell people. But let me just tell you, what God has done for you, particularly for those who are walking with Jesus, what God has done for you is something that we should plaster all around the world and tell everybody about John 4 is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, right? Like, I love it. It's the woman at the well, and she comes to Jesus in the middle of the day, and she's talking, and Jesus is like, yo, give me something to drink. And she's like, yo, the well is deep, Jesus. Like, I don't have a pail. Like, what do, what do you want me to do? And then she gets into this conversation about living water, and then he exposes her immoral lifestyle, and then she takes it in stride, and she begins to kind of theologize about G- with Jesus about where they should worship. All this stuff happens. And then Jesus, just in a very, very gracious way, tells her about himself and tells her the mission that he's going to accomplish and then what she does is she runs back to the town with the same people that dogged her and she went and she told them hey I want you to listen to this I want you to meet a man who told me everything about myself you know what that's called friends a testimony it's a testimony and each of you that are walking with Jesus you have a testimony you have tangible evidence of a time when you really felt like God came through for you. When it was that tough pregnancy and God helped you make it out on the other side, that's when he intervened. When you didn't know how you were going to figure out how to pay that bill or how you were going to figure out how to cover that tuition, God stepped in. Those are testimonies. You can tell him like, yo, I started coming to a church and the the, the, the preacher and the worship and the worship team and all of the different ministries, they really spoke to me. You got to come. It's a testimony of the goodness of God. And then what happens, friends, is they then left the city and they came to Jesus. And it said that they believed all the more, not because of the woman's testimony, but because of what they had heard from him themselves. And I'm just saying, like, all you have to be at times is a bridge to help people get to Jesus. Just be a bridge. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to know the Aristotelian syllogisms, Platonic theory, and the Socratic method. You don't need to know all that. You don't need to be a system, systematic theologian that can quote Bob Vink, Burkhoff, and all that. You don't have to know that. We're going to help you with that over time when you jump into cruise in September because that's what cruise, that's what cruise are. Crews are a swimming pool. They have some shallow areas for people that want to build relationship, and they have some deep ones. So you can get deeper into your relationship with Jesus and experience something called discipleship. Discipleship. Growing and maturing. But what I'm saying is you don't have to have all the answers. But if you have a willing heart and you have a willing, if you have a willing heart and you're willing to speak, God will speak on your behalf. Ask <laughs> for and I'm done. I promise you. I just been reading my Bible this week and I really enjoyed it. Uh, the Pharisees and some of the religious leaders locked up Peter and locked up John. And they said, because these people are testify- testifying on behalf of 
Jesus and the resurrection. And they said that these men are uneducated and untrained men. You know what the Greek word for that is? Idiotes. You know what idiotes means in English? Idiots. Fools. But they spoke boldly because they had been with Jesus. And I think some of the reason why we don't go out and help find the found or find the lost is because we haven't spent enough time with Jesus. Because here's one thing I know about him is if you spend some time with him, he will give you the words to say. He will give you the things that you need to say at that moment. He will help communicate. He will drop something on your heart. You might have to know all the scripture, but he'll drop something in your heart. And you'll be like, that's a good illustration. I'm just going to use that right now. All I'm saying is if you are a willing vessel, God will fill you with wisdom. And he will give you what you need so that we can go and we can reach the lost. Because, friends, that's what we do this for. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. That's why we do this. This is, this is not a concert and a mediocre TED Talk every week. That's not what this is. Otherwise, we'd be wasting our life. We believe that when people come in here, their lives or their eternal destinies are being changed forever. And God has given us a great mission to reach the 6.2 million people in Accelerate City, the Delaware Valley region. And that's not going to happen unless there's a cumulative effort and we show gratitude for God's grace and share it with others. And so, friends, I'm done, but I would like to pray a spirit of boldness over us right now. A spirit of boldness that you can speak as you are and that you can go and you can be God's evangelist and so that you will know that one of the chief things you can do is help find the lost because you know that God has helped found you. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy, your grace, and that you've given to us so richly in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for all those who are joining us online, those who are in person today. Lord, I thank you for them, and I pray that you would bless them right now. What a spirit of boldness to tell other people about you. Lord, give them the words that they need. Help them feel the discomfort until they share the good news with someone. Lord, I pray for divine appointments. I pray that we will just run into people that need a word from you and that when you prick our hearts that we would just share the hope and the good news of the gospel. Lord, embolden us today to say the things that we ought so that we can live in a way that we need to for your glory. And so, Lord, I ask you right now, Lord, I pray that you would bring to our mind the lost coins in our lives. Bring them to mind. Help us light the lamp and sweep the floor so that we can find them, God. And then when they come, we're going to celebrate and have a party, Lord Jesus. We're going to party and we're going to celebrate what you have done. So, Lord, we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, why don't you say amen? Amen.